I'm going to ask a quick favour. If you're listening to this, please hit the subscribe button and the follow button. Like, share, rate, review the podcast. It helps more than you realise. I backed myself. I believe in myself. I believed in myself and I backed myself. Even I was listening to somebody talk about Graham Potter managing Brighton. And the day we beat Man United 4-0, that was one of the greatest days of my life. I'd, I'd never seen Brighton play like that. It was like, it was like watching Barcelona wear our guys' shirts. And, you know, it was like watching Barcelona play Man United. And it was the confidence, I couldn't believe, the little back passes and, you know, when you've got Ronaldo in front of you and, you you know, you know you've got, uh, you know, Webster just backheeling it, you know, across, you know. And, and you just think, that confidence, unbelievable. And, and somebody said, well, that's Graham Potter. He, he, his, his mentality is back yourself, believe in yourself. Resilience and entrepreneurs. Because I think having good ideas is one thing. You know, being able to execute those ideas is another thing. And then being able to stick with those ideas when it's not going your way. And anybody you speak to, whether they're a billionaire or no, nobody's path is easy. We've always kept it fun within, within Electric. You know, we've always kept it, um, you know, I think if, you, if people are enjoying it and they feel part of something, you know, you keep it moving forward. Um, and I still believe in that, you know, without, without any pressure. Success is taking one of those goals that you've set and seeing it come to fruition. And sometimes that might be with some of your key people, you know. And it was a, it was a conscious decision for Electric to be a brand and not a person. It's important to have dreams, it's important to have goals, and it's important to have the energy and the desire to try your best to make those happen and nobody ever makes everything happen all the top entrepreneurs have all failed a few times as well we've got that unique story and and, and we are working with some of the best hairdressers in the world who genuinely believe in it and that means a lot to me so that'll help me build the farm i believe i believe in training the next generation of hairdressers and I believe in trying to do things a bit differently. So we will grow electric space, we will grow the, the, the freelancer element, and we will teach that entrepreneurial shit. But we'll never turn our back on traditional salons and, and building people's careers. Welcome to the County Business Talks podcast, powered by Picturebook Films. Here, we're going to be talking to entrepreneurs and business owners from across Sussex, delving into the mindsets of what makes them really tick. Welcome to another episode of the County Business Talks podcast, kicking off series three today. My guest on the podcast this week is the founder and international creative director of leading British hair brand, Electric. Electric is one of the beauty industry's most celebrated hair brands, encompassing award-winning salons, ethical product lines, global education, photographic and film studio, shared workspace for leading creatives in central London, and its farm and headquarters right here in Sussex. The electric brand continues to grow, absorbing my guests' down-to-earth nature and accessible style, as well as reflecting his energy, drive and vision. His work regularly appears in leading publications across the globe. He is frequently used as an expert on trends and industry topics, and is regularly a contributor on global television. When I started my business journey nearly 13 years ago in Brighton, our two salons were about two minutes round the corner from each other. 
but inside we were pretty much worlds apart. <laughs> Since starting the podcast, I've been dying to have this conversation with him, and I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Mark Woolley to the podcast. Oh, it's so good to be here, Sam. Thank you for uh, thank you for inviting me. Oh, mate, hey. listen, I've been like I say, we, we well we've known each other for nearly like 13 yeah. years. I first come down to Brighton and. Uh, Essentials and used to pop round and borrow some colour from you and <laughs> you were my you were my best neighbour. You know, it's, um, it's a little community in the lanes there. It, it was, it really was. And um, look, my last I've been really excited about getting you on and just having that cold conversation. I always allude a little bit to on the podcast about almost like a failure really with me at the salon that three years. It was a, such a great experience for me, but and learned so much. But it didn't work out for me, and I was just so keen to explore like you being in that industry I was in it for nearly 10 years but being in there and you know seeing what you've achieved is just phenomenal so look it's going to be going to be awesome to have this chat working uh, working progress it's all uh, you know it's all working behind the scenes <laughs> <laughs> mate listen look as always we're just going to jump straight in tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your and your story and your business journey where it all started you know, it's for every time I say this, I shudder a little bit, but I, I've now been a hairdresser for 31 years. And wow. I think every time I say it, I think, God, am I, am I that old? You know, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I started when I was 16. You can probably tell by my accent. I grew up in the, the north of England yeah. and uh, yeah, I grew up in a little town in, in North Yorkshire. Um, started with um, a, a national company called Saks, you know, and I know... Yeah. You were obviously part of Tony and Guy, you know, with yeah. the, the, probably the most recognised national uh, company. Sure. Um, but yeah, I started with with those guys, and basically, Sachs was was two guys who'd been quite prominent hairdressers in in, in London. Uh, they both worked with um, Sassoon, and yeah. uh, you know, and, and they'd, they'd carved out a big following. They'd um, ended up back in their native northeast and. Uh, they when I when I joined they had about eight salons that were in all the prominent towns and cities in the in the northeast, yeah. and um, you know every, it was great. There was a lot of like-minded, creative people, and I always credit those guys with just setting me off on the right foot. Yeah. You know, hairdressing is a brilliant skill because it's people, it's creativity. Businesses, the, the business side of it's quite simple to operate in that yeah. you cut somebody's hair, they pay you there and then, <laughs> you know. And it was just a lot of fun. And it was an industry that I found by chance, you know, and, and I, you know, wasn't one of these people who wanted to be a hairdresser since I was three or, you know, yeah, it, it, yeah. it found me in the, in the last year of school. And I've got to say, I've, I've enjoyed the, well, the creative and the business elements. I've enjoyed most of it yeah. all of the time. yeah. So and so from Saturn, because it was electric, it was a Saxon in yeah. Uh, well, it was kind you? of. I mean, so I you know I started with these guys at Sax when I was sixteen, yeah. and they were one of the like Tony and Guy. They were one of the early pioneers of franchising. So mm. it al- allowed people to have their own business, and they yeah. they were training people from a young age to be able to operate a business. That's yeah. what I, that when I look back, I think that was the really clever thing. They had a yeah, sure. as Tony and Guy did, Saks had an army of people that were following yeah. this path, you know, yeah. and um, yeah, I, I think. Starting off, uh, I learnt my craft with them. I opened my first salon with them. I moved to London with them. You know, I had this burning desire to live in London, so I pitched. How old were you when you started your own salon? Then uh, I was, I was when I moved from the north down to London. I was nineteen, and I opened my first salon with them when I was twenty-one. Wow! 
and wow. um, it, 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 it was a great journey. They taught, I think, they taught me well. Yeah. I've always enjoyed. I've always actually enjoyed the hairdressing as well. You know, like, yeah. and I still do a lot of lot of that now. You know, yeah, I still, um, I see it as something you enjoy, even though it's your business as well. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's kind of like I don't know, same thing someone would get from doing the garden or playing golf or yeah, you know, sure, it, sure. it's it's one of those. Yes, and it, so but look, from so from a young age, obviously, you, like you said, you got into hairdressing at then sort of sixteen last year. But but was that sort of not that drive determination that entrepreneurial side I want to take over my own business did that only develop when you was with the guys at Saks or did you from a young age was there something in you that went you know what I'm, I'm going to one day have my own business whether I, that be a sale or not I was listening to it might have been a podcast but I was listening to somebody talk about the influences people have in life for some people it's the school teachers mm. for some people that play a sport and the coach of the football team has a huge influence on their life or yeah. So I've, 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 I've listened to a lot of people tell those experiences and I've read a lot of biographies as well. My yeah. favorite books to read are biographies. Yeah. And I, I, I think one was when I was growing up, um, you know, we, we sort of, you know, my dad worked in IT, but he was like in the middle, middle management of a yeah. company. My yeah. mum worked at the school. So we had a, you know, fairly humble life you know yeah, we had one sure. holiday a year we lived in a very normal house and you know and our our next door neighbors who were sort of friends of my parents they had um the guy made wardrobes right so he had a fitted wardrobe yeah, guy yeah. but he he was running his own business yeah, yeah. and this guy had a, i remember he had a bmw and they seemed to be able to go on holiday wherever they whenever they wanted now I, I remember thinking Oh, that must be what you have to do. You must have to. <laughs> you must have to have your own business in order. So I think in my subconscious, every now and again, someone would say, "Oh, I own my own business and I'm doing this." Yeah. So one of my goals from being at school was I, I would like to own my own business. But all the things I was into weren't, you know, I, I wasn't a real acad- academic. I was in. Yeah. I'm really into art, like art, like music, like sports. There weren't the things that, you know. Um, the academic subject. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I think in again in the subconscious, hairdressing presented itself as a as a creative, fun business to be involved in. Yeah. But you, but there were all these young people who seemed to own their own businesses, and I yeah. thought, oh well, that that might be for me then, it's you know. Mark, and yeah, that, yeah. I mean, it sounds so silly when you say it like that, but I think they were the touch points. And I remember, I remember. Um, a guy coming into school one day to talk who'd been in a... He was an English guy, but he, he'd been playing basketball. And he was one of the only English people to play in the NBA. Mm. And he was doing a circuit round schools, just talking. I went to this talk, and he was... Um, this guy was called Martin Clark, right? He, he played for... The best basketball team in England was in Kingston. And he, right. and he played for them. I must have been about 14. And he came into school, and he was sort of sounded semi-American, you know, he's been yeah, in the yeah, States. Yeah. And he said, right, guys, he said, what I do every year, I write these goals down. He said, and every New Year's Eve, I get down what I'm going to do, what I'm going to achieve. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, well, that sounds like, a, you know, a, you know, he said, if you write it down, there's more chance of it being, uh, you know, Good coming night, true. So I, from about 14, I started doing that. And I still do that now every New Year's really? Eve. There's a, yeah, I, on my notes, on my show it says goals and direction and you could probably go back to certainly the early 90s they're there every wow. every year 
And so that I think you get that was a touch point. I met that guy for half an hour when yeah. I was fourteen. Dennis and Malcolm, who started Sax and and Ski, who's the the fellow that runs it now, you know, it yeah. the three of them were instrumental. Yeah. And I think um, it was in an era where you, you felt like you had to work hard for things. You know, yeah. people, you know, um, you know, pe- people. I think if they were lucky to get mentored by somebody. Where yeah. now everyone's getting mentored by yeah. everyone. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I felt lucky to be, you know, to learn off those guys. Yeah, sure. And then I guess, like, but even at twenty-one, like to have that self-belief, I guess, and self-awareness. You know, I can do this. I'm going to take. I'm going to take on my own. So that first one was in London, was it? The, the, the first. Yeah. Start? So it was Sax were a lot joining up with uh, David Lloyd Health Clubs, right, yeah, which was brilliant for me because. I I didn't have any money either, you know, yeah. when I started, I re- and, and and a David Lloyd salon was obviously cheaper to set up than going onto the high street and having to do a full shop fit. Yeah, you know, you'd, course, you'd yeah, have a room that was already already had the floor down and the air conditioning yeah. in, so you'd have to put the furniture in. Yeah. So I don't know, as you know, a, a salon on on the high street might cost you two to three hundred thousand pounds to open. Yeah, a salon sure. in a David Lloyd club for me in and I'm trying to think what year that was. I think it was ninety six when I opened that one, the first one, and um, I, I want to say it was sixty or seventy grand. You know, so yeah, it was a, yeah, it was yeah. an amount of money where, you know, I. I bought my own house when I was 18 as well. Um, oh, but again, in the days when a house in the north of England was, was 30 grand for a three-bedroom <laughs> terrace house, yeah. I bought this house and I got a 95% mortgage. Yeah. So you think your deposit was 1,500 quid, but you're on the, you're on the property ladder. Yeah, and that's, absolutely. that's what I think the kids are missing today. They're missing yeah. those opportunities. Yeah. And I'm from that era where, you know, I'm, I'm, I was born in 1975, 47, um, I'm from that era where, um, rightly or wrongly, Margaret Thatcher was the prime minister, and, and her <laughs> attitude was, "Look, get." Uh, well, they had a slogan, didn't they? Get on your bike. You know, it was yeah. like go and, and and all the people that were on TV, like Janet Street Porter, um, they would do these rough guide to careers and rough guide to the world. World. It was all about, look, if you want to be a journalist, get down the Daily Mirror and make the tea. Yeah, you know, and, or if you want to do that, find the best person and assist them, and you know, and work yeah. hard. So that that really spoke to me, and I thought, right, what I want to do is move to London, be an amazing hairdresser, where I'm, you know, yeah. and and learn off the best people, and then you know, I want to eventually open my own salon. But I think the attitude of the day, and I've said this to people before, and when you mention yeah. Margaret Thatcher, a lot of my mates from up north go, oh, terrible, <laughs> yeah, terrible, yeah, yeah. you know. But I, I think it really spoke to me, and you look yeah. at. The difference between that government and the government of today is every one of those cabinet ministers was a self-made multi-millionaire. That's yeah. if you just think about that for a minute. Yeah. You know, you look at, you know, I, I don't think Boris is a bad guy really, and 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 and, and his crowd, but they're all professional politicians. Yeah, yeah, sure. You look at Margaret Thatcher's government: Geoffrey Archer, self-made millionaire. Yeah. Douglas Hurd, self-made multimillionaire. Yeah. Michael Heseltine, self-made multimillionaire. These guys were running, and Heseltine was in advertising. Douglas Hurd was in property. Archer was a worldwide-selling author and yeah. you know property tycoon. And these guys were, were you know, they were real. They yeah, understood yeah, what absolutely. you know, and, and that all spoke to me. You know, yeah. it's it's. When I say that to my northern mates, though, they do go bloody. <laughs> <you know. laughs> I think I've. 
you know. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I can, but do you th- do you think that then, like nowadays, do you think like the especially again in in the hair industry as well, we're employing younger people. That if, do you, do you think the younger generation? And obviously, we can't you know generalize as, as much, but the work ethic's not quite the same as maybe from. I, you know, I think it it varies person to person, and I try I try very hard to and sometimes I stop myself because you start I start sounding like somebody of the last generation yeah. and I hear you hear it in salons and you have done I think for the last 50 years you've heard a generation of established stylists looking at the trainees in the salon and saying oh they're not they don't they're not like it what well, it's not like it was <laughs> when we were and I've heard that I think that's existed for 50 yeah, years yeah. but I think what's what's happened to the world is its ability com- to communicate has got better, hasn't it? I yeah, mean, look yeah. at what we're doing now. Yeah, yeah, but actually, absolutely. Instagram, you know, TikTok, you've got, everybody's got a voice. Yeah. And you look at the news, you know, you, you know, 20 years ago, whatever you said on the nine o'clock news, that had to be true. Yeah. Or you had a legal issue. You know, if you were saying, well, this happened and it didn't, yeah, you, yeah. that's li- that libelous, you know. Whereas now, you know, you can say, well, there's an earthquake and there's, there's, 500 people dead you know but yeah. by six o'clock there might only be 37 people you know and it, yeah, and it yeah. so you can say something and it but and it can, yeah. i think with the ability to commun to communicate like we've got it it can it can make people and it can ruin people as well yeah. you know you look yeah. at some of the things that look at johnny depp you know it, <laughs> yeah. you know oh, yeah, he's had five years off you know with a few accusations yeah, you know yeah 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 no it's, in, it's interesting I I, I I i sort of think cause you, you, Especially like you say, with not only with modern technology as well, and you know, everything, so it's right there. And then you want to order something, bang, there. Yeah. Amazon, everything, yeah. phones, it's everything we've got in in the palm of our hand in our phones. We've got so like that. And I guess one thing I, I not so much my web app, but I look at the the level of communication just as a people. I've always been a bit of a people person, hence I'm on the hair salon, yeah. but. Uh, businesses are now all networking bringing people together whatever that looks like you obviously are a people person being in that industry but whether that, that again the the communication skills of the next generation because they all sit in a room and look at a <laughs> look at a phone or whatever is that, yeah, how, how you know, is that I, I think there's obviously your phone now does everything doesn't yeah. it you pay <laughs> your bills you do shopping you you order your food you book restaurants yeah. you, you know you you know you people who are dating that most of them meet on a some sort of app don't they yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's changed but i think i do think in, in to answer your question i think it's important to look forward and i always try and do do that yeah, yeah. sometimes i see some amazing examples of young people working and and, and really making the way and you yeah. think wow I can't remember having anyone having those entrepreneurial skills. Somebody who, and you, you'll know with the hairdressing industry, there's people, some people within it who, they're good enough at doing the hair or they're maybe even very good at doing the hair, yeah. but they're amazing communicators and, and some of these people have, you know, a million plus followers on whatever platform. Yeah. And they are modern day entrepreneurs because yeah. I I know that, if you have got a million followers on anything, you, you that is a real asset. That's a real commodity. You've got a captive audience, haven't you? And I'm sat here calling myself an entrepreneur, but the reality is, I don't know how to go about achieving having a million followers on anything. Yeah. So I, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, but yeah, 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 there's sure. people younger than me that that do, and I think they're they're probably the modern day entrepreneurs. So yeah. I think 
it's easy to look at a generation and go, well, they don't work as hard as us. But I think they do, just in different Diff- ways. I think that's a great I think, answer. I think I, it will as well. Yeah. I'll tell you what I will say. They don't have as much fun as us. <laughs> because, <laughs> um, you know, everything can be recorded on a phone, you know. And, and in, in my day, it was just legend and folklore, you know. It yeah, was, uh, absolutely. You know. I, know, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, cool. Look, I, I want to jump on to, like, obviously, the, the hairdressing industry. Like I said, I was in it for with Tony and Guy, huge channel, and you know, um, within that industry for nearly ten years. But like, it is such a competitive market. Like you can, you know, you can go and do that. But so, talk to me a little bit about you and how you've you've created this global brand, like with with the products and 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 with the salons and stuff. Like, what, what do you think was the the key ingredient for for you? I I, t- I think if you. Um I think with electric, and uh, you know, before I tell you, before I answer that, you asked me first about how did sax turn into yeah. electric. I'd got to a point where I'd, you know, I think I'd, I'd had such a great time working for sax, you know, and I had a role where I was employed, you know, as a sort of creative director as well. Yeah. So I'd, I had a sort of role in training some of the other people that were involved, yeah. and and I think that became a victim of its own success because it was a successful franchise model. Um, they, it became a very good proposition for people to own a franchise. So people started owning them that weren't from the industry and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I, across the board, I just felt that the, the creativity had died a little bit and yeah, it had become yeah. a business. Yeah. And I think my, my career had got involved in quite a lot of other things. I'd, when I moved to London, my, my then girlfriend was studying fashion at Central St. Martins. Um, and she, t- today, she's the global creative director for Agent Provocateur. She's a real oh, prominent yeah, person yeah. in the fashion industry. We've known each other, obviously, since we were about 15. And, we, you know, we still work together sometimes now. She'd moved to London and she was in, she was the year below Stella McCartney. And she was the same year as David Comer and, you know, and, yeah, and yeah. people like that. So I was... I, you know, I was there as a hairdresser, knocking around with some of these people. Yeah. And eventually people would say, can you come and do the hair on a shoot for me? And I'd never, I'd never really, you know, this would be, I'd be 18 at this point, so I hadn't yeah, really yeah, done yeah. any of that. But me being me, said, oh, of course, yes, I will. <laughs> you know, I thought, That's well, I, you know, I'm good at doing people's hair in the sound. So, you know, I'd turn up. And it seemed to be, a, at the time, I, I probably felt it was a good enough job. But then I became very, when I was 18, I became very good friends with... Um, the founder of your company, or one of the founders of your company, and yeah. Anthony Muscolo, yeah, who yeah, sure. was one of the real people I looked up to in in hairdressing. Met him by chance on a, on a ski trip. Yeah, became really good friends. Uh, we're still very good friends now. We've we've worked on a lot of projects, creative yeah. and business projects together over the years. And he, yeah, you know, I would say to him, "Oh, I'm going to do a shoot tomorrow for David Comer." And he'd be going, how on earth are you doing that? How you, you know, it was just, it was one of those things yeah. where I was in the circles, we'd met a few people, so I started doing that. I remember Anthony saying, right, blow dry this girl. Um, he, he had a girl, great model, with a, with a sort of bob. Yeah. And he was taking pictures, and he must have had 20 Tony and Guy people in there, you know, all yeah, the people yeah, you can yeah, imagine. Yeah. And it was when he was still at Tony and Guy, on the roof of New Oxford Street, you know, on yeah, the top yeah, floor. Yeah, well, yeah. And he's shooting all these models. He went, right, blow dry that girl. So I've gone over, blow dried this girl with a Denman brush, smooth like glass. Yeah. 
the like the best I I thought I'd ever blow dried anyone. I thought he's going to love this. I said, "What do you think?" And he went, and if you imagine what the Tonian guy look was, you know, yeah, a lot yeah. of texture, a lot of movement. Yeah, of course. It was the look of the day. So I'd blow dried something that was smooth and you know, and maybe looked a bit like the era before. And and I said, "What do you think?" That, you know, thinking he'd be impressed. He went. Yeah, it's a bit old-fashioned. He went, uh, and he sort of ruffled it up a bit, you know. He got got the yeah. girl and ruffled it up, sprayed a bit of, you know, one of the Tony and Guy products oh, on, and, you know, and, and off. And it sort of seemed to come alive. I was looking at it going, bloody hell, you know, this this guy just seems to touch the hair and it comes yeah. alive. So I was very interested in that. So he started teaching me about how to do hair on shoots. Then I did a bit more what we now know as session work, but at the time it was yeah. me going to do some shoots for my mates or, you know, trying yeah, to act yeah. like I knew a bit more than I did. <laughs> and eventually a lady came to me called Joy Goodman who ran an agency and she said, I think I cut her hair in the salon. She said, oh, would you be interested in doing any red carpet stuff? So I said, oh, yeah, I've done loads of that, you know, with girlfriends at St. Martin's and, you know, yeah. did all these editorial shoots. So next thing, I, I had an agent. So I had a business called Saks. I had an agent. I was building up a, a following in in, in, the, in the sort of session side. Yeah. And and that I started probably my separation with Saks because creatively I was over here on the left. Yeah. And they were a business, you know, that over yeah, here. Yeah. And eventually, I just the time came where I said, actually, you know what? I had my own little art team within my salon. Yeah. I felt that. Sacks in Brighton, which was my main salon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt that was a little bit different to all the other sax salons. It was. I felt it was, it was creatively driven, and I felt like we had this atmosphere that we felt was electric, yeah. right? So we yeah. felt when somebody came in our salon, there was great music playing, and yeah. we were doing great hair, and it was full of great characters, and there was an atmosphere, and we kept talking about this atmosphere. You know, when people go, I was at a football match and yeah. or I was at a concert and the atmosphere was electric, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had this word and I thought, it's time, you know. So I, I bought out of my sax contracts. We're still very good friends. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. very close to Dennis and, and Ski to this day. But I bought out the contracts. Brighton is obviously our building. We own, own the building, so they couldn't yeah, yeah. kick me out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I swapped it to an electric salon. All the years I've been here, I've always my main clientele's always been in London. Right. Um, so I've always had, you know, we've always had our family home in Brighton and a flat in London, and we've always gone between the two. Yeah. But it left me without a London salon. So this would be about two thousand and five, two thousand and six. Yeah. So it took about eighteen months, and where my flat was in London, in Marleybone, um, a shop came available on Marleybone High Street. So I thought, well, I know this area, I know a few people, and with Saks we were in Covent Garden. Thought it's not that far from Covent Garden, but it gives me a chance to sort of reinvent myself. Yeah. So yeah, we popped up in it was early two thousand and seven in um, Marleybone High Street. Wow. And then I was doing a lot of brand ambassador work for L'Oreal uh, at that time, and I met became very friendly with one of the chemists who was an English guy but based in Paris. He then left L'Oreal, went to work for Estee Lauder, which meant he moved back to London. Yeah. And we'd been working on a, a formula for a styling cream that, that evaporated, you know, so it was very good for fine hair. Yeah. When he moved back to London, we got stuck into that. Um, I was doing a lot of editorial work um, at the time, and the um, head buyer of um, Harvey Nichols, Daniela Rinaldi, 
came up to me and said, do you think you could get a couple of other products around this smoothing cream? You know, like, could you have a shampoo and a conditioner? And mm. we, we, we did a, shampoo, a color shampoo and a conditioner and we did a prep spray. It took about two years to get four products. And then we launched exclusively with, with Harvey Nichols in, wow. I think it was two, early 2010. Wow. And then we had salons starting to ask for it. And I thought, you know what, we're more comfortable all the years I'd spent with Anthony Muscoga, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. I was more comfortable with hairdressers than I was with people in department stores. I think yeah. that was the, and uh, the relationship with Harvey Nichols was a good one. It led to us opening two salons, two electric salons in yeah. their stores. And, um, you know, the products are still sold in their stores today, but it, it really is a professional brand. Yeah, and it's, yeah, yeah. we look for good hairdressers to be associated with. So I know it's that was amazing. a massively long. No, I'm sorry, that was a long brilliant. answer. No, but, but it's uh, brilliant, and it's and there's so much to like even even going back, just taking a couple of bits out. One thing that I love is that even when you're 18 years old and you've been asked to do a shoot on like you know David Cohen, whatever that looks, like, and you just yeah, I'll do that. Like that mentality, that mindset. Because so many people at 18, maybe not that confident to be able to go. They go, oh, I'm not ready for that. How can I can't do that? But you just go. I I think yeah, and I think a lot of these younger people you mentioned earlier today are doing that. Yeah, I I look at some of the people in the industry that really you see it a little bit here, but you see it a lot in America, uh, where I think America the balance might be tipped the wrong way. And apologies for any American listeners, but there you've got a high level of confidence and possibly a lower level of ability. I do think in the UK, and I'm not saying this because we're English, but it, we have got it a bit more balanced where yeah, yeah, yeah. somebody's confidence seems to grow when their ability is somewhere near there. Yeah, yeah, sure. And you hear, you know, I said earlier, I read a lot of people's biographies and, uh, and you hear a lot of people say, I backed myself, I believed, yeah, in, yeah. Myse- I believed yeah, yeah. in myself and I backed myself. Yeah. Even I was listening to somebody talk about Graham Potter managing Brighton. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. And... The day we beat Man United 4-0, that was one of the greatest days of my life. I'd, I'd never <laughs> yeah. seen Brighton play like that. It was yeah. like it was like watching Barcelona wear our guys' shirts. And, you know, it was Amazing. like watching Barcelona Amazing. play Man United. Yeah. And it was the confidence, I couldn't believe, the little back passes. And, you know, when you've got Ronaldo in front yeah. of you, and, you, you, know, you know, you've got, uh, you know, Webster just backheeling it, you know, across, you know. And... and you just think that confidence, unbelievable. And, and somebody said, "Well, that's Graham Potter. He, he, his, his mentality is back yourself, believe yeah. in yourself." When you've got Ronaldo in front of you, and I love, and, and I always, but I think ultimately it's what gets us through. And if you if you do back yourself and you do just that self belief, just no one else is going to believe. If you believe in yourself, you can. We can yeah. achieve things, can't we? And that's, and I, and I'm similar. Like I've always had a my. I, I, I posted something the other day saying about sometimes be a little bit of a yes man. People ask me to do, I go, yeah, I'll do that. That sounds like a good idea. And then I thought, why have I said yes to that? I ain't really got time to do But I always think, because life, I always look at it, life's an opportunity. Yeah. So you go, I'll say yes to things, I'll figure out how I'm going to do it. Let's just go and, and tell, what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm like, for me arse and, you know, things go wrong, you go, okay, learn from that. But I'd rather give something a go and it not work than... Think, oh, I wish I'd done that. What would have happened if I'd done that? I think the best um, thing that you, you, you know, you mentioned it earlier, you know, you, you were 
talking about you know planning these shows and, and fitting things in and you mentioned oh I, when I'm I go for a run and you listen mm. to a podcast when you go for a run yeah I think when you're doing things like that when you when you're saying yes to everything I think that puts you in a good place to push whatever projects you're working on pushing yeah. forward I think I, if I'm totally honest I think I'm at a point in my life at the moment where there's a lot of plates spinning. I believe we've got a really good team and those people at, at the core of it in electric, I think are spinning those plates as much as I am. Mm. And I think I'm, I'm probably at the point where I am ready for a bit of a summer holiday to go and recharge a bit. Yeah, sure. And I think when I do, you know, I, I know, I know when I'm at that stage because I wake up, I love running, especially on a morning. Yes. Yeah, and it has all the benefits, especially when the weather's nice and you get yeah. outside. But I'm, I'm, Often now, you go to bed late because you're working so late <laughs> and the alarm goes at six and I think, shall I have an hour uh, more or shall I go, you know, and, and <laughs> yeah. sometimes I'm, t I'm making the wrong decision on those dates, yeah. you know, which I'm pleased you're making the right decision. Yeah, it helped. I've, I've just, I'm signed up for a triathlon in September and I've started swimming again recently, which is, I went early this morning and went for a swim and it's... Do you in I the just, sea? No, I actually, we're wearing salt days, so I'm there down the Lido. Um, I will do some more in the sea but yeah I've just started getting back into it so I'm doing it in the light but it's just such a great way to yeah, start yeah. a day you get out and wh whatever exercise for me exercise first thing in the morning it just clears my head and I'll get yeah. out and I'm ready to ready to start but um, I'll join you yeah we're in we're in <laughs> well, um, well look I want to talk about some like, obviously running a business you know especially over the longevity you have we face loads of challenges. Like I said, I often talk about the ups and downs and failures and, and success, whatever that looks like. But talk to me about you know some of the challenges over the uh, over the last you know uh, however many years running running the businesses and and how has I guess how has the last couple of years as well with COVID? Where is that sort of sitting with that as a challenge? Uh, you know, COVID. I mean, that was the obvious, wasn't it? The obvious yeah. answer. I think there are other answers, but I think COVID. Some businesses, and I've got a mixture of friends in different businesses, some people's businesses flourished. Yeah, you know? yeah absolutely. Yeah. So I've got friends who, uh, some friends who are property developers, their businesses flourished in, in COVID. Builders, um, a very good friend of mine, runs a, a really successful financial services kind of wealth management business. His, yeah. his business rocketed in, in COVID. Mm -hmm. um, some of the stock markets rocket, you know, some yeah. people made a lot of money on that. If you were the owner of <laughs> a hair salon or a restaurant or a shop or anything service orientated, it did affect, it affected all of us. And I yeah. think, you know, when I go to a hairdressing industry event, there are some good people missing, you know, that didn't, didn't make it through. And I, and I think, I don't think there's anybody out there that hasn't restructured the business a little bit and thought, yeah. well, okay, um, and we're quite open about it with, with, with us. I mean, it cost us hundreds of thousands of pounds, no question, you know. And wow. um, some of our salons, the rate, uh, the rateable value fell into the right position for it to have a rate grant, you know, yeah. So, which was brilliant for the government. You, you know, you yeah. think we, we, had, we had furlough that enabled us able the staff to have 80% of the salary paid. Yeah, amazing. It you know that you know do salute our government for that. That was a big help. The rate grants were a big help. Some of our salons it was bizarre because the ones say in London where the rateable value is higher. Yeah. 
we didn't get the you know it was like oh well, if your rate rateable value is above fifty grand, yeah, yeah. you don't you don't get any money you know. But if it's below, if it's forty nine, you get twenty five grand. And I couldn't understand <laughs> that you know. So so you know some of our salons where the rateable value was too high, yeah. we had to take a, a bounce back loan in you know. Yeah. So you borrow you had fifty grand into your you know. And we, I think we had to do a couple of those and. Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, COVID, everyone took on a bit more debt. Everyone had to manage the expectations of their staff because, you know, some people came back and said, well, I don't want to do it anymore. You know, I want to, or I want to do it three days a week or, yeah. you know, I've decided actually my calling is something else, you know, yeah. and they've had a lot of time to, creative people have had a lot of time to think about it. You know, yeah. the amount of hairdressers that, you know, I've always done art, so I was doing a load of art. And I realised there's like six or seven other prominent hairdressers who were doing the same thing. You know, people yeah. like Sally Brooks and you know, people, you know, yeah. Trevor Sorby. Um, you know, he, I, I was with him on Sunday. He was showing me. He's retired now, but yeah. some like amazing artwork that I didn't even know he did. Yeah. You know, it was, it was. Well, if you've got that, like you said, you know, you you love your art and you do, you, you know, great artist. But you, you know, that when you when you've got that, like you said, from a young age, I guess that creativity that, that comes out in hairdressing comes out in other ways as well. I think it came out. In it. Well, look at what you're doing now. This is a creative project, isn't yeah, it? I think yeah, you've yeah, got. Sure. It's a great vision that you've got, and I think perfect for you because you 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 said it earlier. You are a people's person, and you're 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 very everybody likes you. You know, so it, it's you know you, this is this is a, a brilliant project. Yeah. But I think yeah, we all did a few things, but. Um, for me, I, I'm now back to the full, you know, full on with it. Yeah, yeah the, I think over the years the electric products have grown. You know, when we launched those in America and Canada, and you know that that had become the biggest part of our business. But yeah. it, you know, all the people, or eighty percent of the people we sell our products to us were other salons. So, yeah, so in sure. England they were all shut. In, yeah. in Canada they were all shut. The states, it's like different rules for different states. You, yeah, you, you yeah. know, you go to some of the northern states and it's exactly the same as the UK. Yeah. You know, you go down to Florida or Georgia or somewhere and, and they don't believe there's a pandemic going on. Yeah. So it's just business as <laughs> it's usual. Crazy, yeah. You know, so it's 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 different. That kept us going. You know, yeah, some yeah. ones are open, some, some are closed. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like it's a rebuilding job now of everything we believe in. Yeah. We've we've invested heavily in Falmercourt, you know the the farm. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you know, we want to continue to grow yeah. that, and we we set certain challenges. You know, it's a historic building, so yeah. been quite heavily managed by the South Downs National Park. But I, I just look at it and think, actually, all these things are just just challenges you've got to get around. It's not going to stop you doing what you set out to do. I guess that's the that's the key message in it because but ultimately most people that can't you know this is going to be what the thirty fourth episode I've recorded now and chatting to people and and the, the the theme for every entrepreneur business owner you talk to is that that resilient mindset that you've got to have as a cause, because no matter what business you, you have how successful it becomes whatever there's still along that journey there's always going to be the downs there's there's going to be the challenges that you you look at and it's how you how you get around that, isn't it? That's what we. Yeah, and I think that is a um, that is a key with resilience and entrepreneurs, because I think having good ideas is one thing, mm. you know, being able to execute those ideas is another thing, yeah. and then being able to stick with those ideas when it's not going your way. <laughs> and anybody you speak to, whether they're a billionaire or no, nobody's path is easy. Yeah. 
Some people have had a quick path, you know, where, you know, someone like Mark Zuckerberg, where it's gone from, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, at 26, he's, he's worth several billion yeah. from, from starting at zero. There's not yeah. many of those in the world. Yeah, yeah. Some of that's, you know, that was the modern day industrial revolution, wasn't yeah, it? The yeah, tech yeah, thing. And they were, you know, him and the, the guys from Google and, you know, they, they were at the forefront of it, yeah, Elon course, Musk. Yeah. But I still think those guys would have done well, whatever they'd have gone into. Yeah. And, you know, there the will have been, you know, I mean, look, at one point they had countries trying to shut them down, didn't yeah, they? They've yeah, obviously got through it. Yeah. So I do think resilience is, is important. And I think in any business, there are in inevitable highs and lows. Yeah. And the trick is having the same enthusiasm when you when there's a low point where, um, I mean, this is the other end of the scale from hairdressing, but yeah. I really like uh, boxing, you know. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, sure. I was listening to Tyson Fury, who had obviously three fights with Deontay Wilder, you know, yeah, yeah. hardest punching heavyweight in history, apparently. Yeah, you know, but, yeah, sure. Um, no one gave him a chance in the first fight. You know, everyone was... You know, they were shocked at his effort, and he yeah. obviously it looked as if he'd been knocked out in the last round. But he got yeah, up, yeah, yeah, yeah. still still looked like he'd won the fight, even though it was a draw. Yeah. Um, second fight comes out absolutely dominated it, and the third fight was one of the best heavyweight fights in history, I think. Yeah. You know, and I I remember watching that, thinking at any point here, either one of these guys could be knocked out. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and you know they're both big men, and I think. Tyson Fury just seemed totally relaxed about, you know, when he was in that position. Yeah. But I, he looked like he knew where he was, you know, he knew what the end result was going to be, yeah. you know, or he, or he backed himself or fully believed in himself. Yeah. So I think when you're on that low point, you've got to have the same belief as when you've just had the idea and, you know. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, I think you're spot on. I think you're spot on. Cause it, and, it's, and, and one thing I've, I've really... I've really taken out of, the, of since I've been doing this and something I, books I read other podcasts I listen to as well that again another one thing is about so much about got to be able to enjoy that journey not just this like the destiny like you've got to have a goal in mind like you said you write goals down and you, you, we always got to have that goal in mind but not fixated on that destination that you because if you don't allow yourself to enjoy them moments along the journey when you're at them low points if you're not enjoying it you're gonna you're gonna yeah. struggle when you yeah and i think yeah i said earlier reading biographies you listen to a lot of people's experiences and you're interested in them the other thing i've heard a lot is when it hasn't gone right for people how they've um made it philosophical rather than you know, you hear about some of the great people in history where they've, I don't know, some of the leaders of countries and mm. they've, they've, they've lost their battle and they've, you know, shot themselves or whatever, yeah. you know, that's the, you know, you, you hear of um, how people, when things haven't gone their way, they've made it philosophical and they've just said, it's all a game and it doesn't yeah. matter. You know, I remember I, I read something about Donald Trump, you know, where he'd lost, I think it was in the early 90s when there was a crash. Yeah. Lost it like he lost a billion dollars and he or he was a billion dollars overdrawn and you know yeah. the, the banks were trying to call in all his properties and he just refused to go bust you know he was he yeah. was um, you know and and it's that resilience isn't it and it's that yeah um, but yeah it's it's and it, but he was saying look it's all a game it doesn't yeah. really matter yeah and yeah. I, and I, Richard Branson in this country you know he he seemed read his books yeah been to the wire in almost everything you know yeah. and there's a point where 
you know, at the eleventh hour, the whole thing could have collapsed, you know, and and for whatever reason, it didn't. Um, still going. Yeah. yeah. You see, well, look, let, let's flip that from the from them challenging time. Like I said, I can imagine that through in COVID, obviously, you know, couple of the bit, especially with Furball's events company, it was a struggle for me. So, I'm, but I was keen to see. Like I can imagine having a salon at that point would have, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. But did you, so like, we, as a leader, I guess then, with the salons and the stuff, was it a case of, look, and we'll go on to this in a little while about culture, but I'll get, uh, ultimately, the culture you create within electric is electric, as you mentioned, yeah. and that's, and it, that everyone's sort of behind you and, and buy into it. And did you, as a leader, then at that point, like, call everyone in, this is the situation, but this is how we're going to get through it, and... Yeah, I think getting everyone together was important, you know. And we we um, there was obviously some of those lockdown periods you couldn't get people together physically. Yeah, 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 sure. And I think I I spoke to other salon owners that were getting them on Zoom twice a week, and and I we didn't do as much of that. I didn't, you know, for me, I know how I was feeling at that time. I was I was really into the things I was getting into, and so were a lot of our key people, you know, yeah. some of the art directors. So. The idea of saying, oh, on Friday at two o'clock, you must be on a Zoom meeting. Yeah. I didn't do any of that. But what I did do was I'd, I'd, just, I'd phone them up like I always would have done. And, yeah, you know, that. sometimes we'd end up swimming in the sea or going having a walk together or, you know, whatever. But there was no structure to it, you know. Yeah. But I've spoke to a lot of people who, who seemingly did have a lot of structure. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that was good for them. But for us, it just seemed, OK, let's regroup. Let's... Yeah. We've always kept it fun within within electric. Yeah. You know, we've always kept it. Um, you know, I think if, you, if people are enjoying it and they feel part of something, you know, you can keep it moving forward. Yeah. Um, and I still believe in that. You know, yeah. without without any pressure. Yeah. Talk, talk to uh, from the challenges. Talk to me then about like some some career highlights over uh, over the last few years and. and and what what does success look like to you? You're obviously so driven and and you built. A, yeah, I think success is taking one of those goals that you've set and seeing it come to fruition. And sometimes that might be with some of your key people, you know. And it was a it was a conscious decision for Electric to be a brand and not a person, you know. Mm. So, and I think for a few reasons. One, I was used to working for a brand. So when we were stood on stage doing a show, I'd be saying, "Well, us and." we as the art team and you know not I as Mark Woolley and you know and I didn't feel and and some of my people I'd looked up to like kind of Anthony Muscolo even though he was a family member of Tony and Guy you know it it was a brand you know and he was the representative of that brand and I think that's how I always saw myself I was I was the representative of it but actually in another city someone else would have to represent it. Yeah. So electric is this thing, and, and it would be about Louise in Oxford, or it would be about Charlie in London, or, you know. And yeah. um, I remember having a long discussion with Trevor Sorby on whether that was the right thing. And for him, it, it was the right thing to be Trevor Sorby. Yeah, sure. And, you know, he's one of the few people that was able to go out on a high and sell his name to somebody. But very few people can actually sell their own name, because yeah, without yeah, that... Sure. 
it that's it, isn't it? Yeah, because it's even if the business is, and, and also from a scalability point of view, sometimes you look yeah. at it and go, if it's someone's name and it's, it's just that person, then how does that necessarily, whatever business that looks like, if you're the face of it and you're the person, that, well, how does that? Hairdressing's all about people, isn't it? And yeah, I think yeah. um, if you are Trevor Sorby, you know, he's a sort of global icon. Yeah. But there's been a lot of big names go through there, and ultimately they haven't opened a Trevor Sorby salon. They've gone and be, be, they've either become Brooks and Brooks or Eugene Sullivan or yeah. Angelo Seminara. You know, they've gone and become. Yeah. And it, look, there's no right or wrongs in that. Yeah. Of Trevor course. Trevor had a successful business for 50 years and then sold it to someone, yeah, as is, which is the Thanks to me. Much, so <clears throat> I think it was right for him to do that. I honestly feel it's right for me to operate electric as a brand. Yeah. And I just think I've always said, you know, just subconscious it's all it's we to you know, it is I know that's a cliche, oh it's a team. Ah, but but it is. We've got some people that have worked for electric for twenty odd years, you know, and, and yeah. you know or or my company, which is still the same company, but my company before it was called electric, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, sure. So you know, I believe in that long-term opportunities. Um, yeah, and that, I think that was the most significant thing for me, a brand, yeah. not a person. And you feel like that. But again, I guess from a successful point of view, did you have, you might, do you feel then at that point, you, or was there a point over the last year, you've got, you launched a product range, you've got numerous amount of salons, was, is there ever been a point where you've gone, that is success and you that okay or it, no i think you got to keep it moving i think you got to keep any business moving but yeah. certainly anything that's trend fashion led you know like yeah. hairdressing is yeah, you've got to sure. keep it moving and i look at electric today the quick description is 10 years ago we were a, a well 15 years ago we were a salon group yeah. that had its own product line today i think what is electric it's a it's a brand that's that's around the hairdressing industry, yeah. but the biggest parts of that brand are products. Then you've got salons in the traditional sense where yeah. we employ all the staff, and then we've got this new arm to electric, electric space, yeah. which is very much like the building we're sat in now where it's a shared workspace and it's a members club. So it's yeah. a bit more like Soho House than it is a um, say we work yeah, yeah, yeah sure and we by invitation only invite only the best hairdressers in London to be members we've got wow. about 80 members and wow. they they pay to be members and they pay to use the, the you know the chair and station and, yeah. and we've got a photographic and film studio in there we've got a private cinema we've got you know all these we've wow. got a bar and we've got two club floors you know where people can yeah. so today I think the hairdressing industry looks a bit more like that yeah. what I've learned by operating that business for the last 18 months is it's not for everybody I think the, the, the core um, people building successful careers in the hairdressing industry I believe should be employed you know and I think the employer should invest in them uh, yeah. and I believe they should work within the salon and do well for themselves and, and the business yeah. and you know, some of them are going to think, well, okay, I want to open my own business, and you've got to wish them well and let them do that. Yeah, sure. Other people are um, maybe they don't want to go the whole hog, but maybe they want to be a bit more in charge of their own destiny, and, and that's why we've we've launched Electric Space. 
so yeah today we're a multitude of things and then we've got a farm that we bought to we bought the farm a to be our head office and b to grow some of the ingredients that are in our products so we yeah. that was but today we think right well we're now an event space and we're a you know we we we've gone into that and that links to what we're doing in london so electric's always evolving um, but what we're not today is a traditional salon group. We do own some salons, but, you know, it, it's, it's... a lot more than that. Yeah, and, and, and the challenge with those salons is we've got to make sure they're the best in the cities that they're in because yeah. if we're not, it affects everything. It affects the products, yeah. you know. Um, you know, if, if we had a mid, mid-range mid salon, how can we sell a really top-end product? Yeah. So I, I said a few years ago, look, we need less salons. But the ones we've got need to really dominate the cities that they're in, yeah. and you know, without you know, without shouting from the rooftop, I believe we we do do that. You know, yeah. but I, you know, we we less sounds, but quality. You know, like that. It leads us really nicely on because this is this is probably the one thing I really I was so keen, and probably over the years that I've been wanting to have this moment where you just to sit down and and delve into the whole culture, like because look, I. Like, like we've alluded to, like my salon was around the corner. We had a, you know, I had a better relationship with the team at Electric than I probably did with the Tony and Guy, which was down the road, which was surprised. Just in the fact that, just as on a friendly basis, I could come around and, and, and chat. And we, you know, like I said, we known each other. But the one thing that for me, I was almost in awe. Like I used to walk in to the salon and come and borrow some colour. And you're exactly what I, the word Electric. You walk in and I was like, wow. This, the music was pumping. It was always busy. It was just such an amazing atmosphere in there. And I used to go back to the salon and go, God, have they, what, what have they done? How have they created that? And what? So and so much of that has got to obviously come from you as a, a creative leader there. And but the culture, like you said, you've created something there. But just t- t- talk to me about the, the culture. Well, electric. those those feelings you've just described there, I've I've experienced exactly the same feelings a few years earlier where you know I was I was in Saks that I'd watched become a it was a cult creative company mm. some great hairdressers working in it and it became a franchise model and a business and quite soulless mm. and when I looked at people who were really making waves 10 years before electric I, I honestly used to go in their sounds and feel exactly how you've just described mm. and I think it's funny, you know, all the years I've known you, I, th- I, I, I think I sometimes think back and think, you know what we should have done? And I didn't know you before you were, when you were making the step from working for Tony and Guy to owning that essential salon. Yeah. I wish I'd known you then because I would have said, hey, let's go and do an electric salon together, you know, because yeah. it would have flown, you know, yeah. you know, with everything you were, your personality and everything you've got, I think sometimes the situation isn't the right situation. Yeah. But I think... I remember 10 years prior to Electric having that atmosphere in Brighton. I remember walking into, a friend of mine worked for Fish in Soho, and he used to work for yeah. Saks, left Saks. He's working in this salon. Just as Saks were telling us we all had to wear suits and we had to, you know, it was very, it became very corporate. Yeah. I remember going in, it would have been late 90s, going in and my friend Hugh was working in Fish. And they were, he was cutting the guy's hair from uh, Ocean Colour Scene, you know, and it was, oh, he had yeah, all these yeah, cool yeah. people in the salon. And I'm there in my suit, thinking, it was a Tuesday morning, I'm thinking, what on earth am I doing? I'm wearing a suit, and this guy, these guys are cool and doing great work. And yeah. I remember walking out of there going, I've got to change, I've got to, you know, because 
I felt that was more my world than the, the corporate world. Yeah, 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 sure. I remember feeling that. I remember feeling, I remember when Lee Stafford opened his salon in Wardour Street that yeah. uh, was just cool. And he had, a, he had a load of cool people working there yeah. and they were making a TV show about him. I remember thinking, this is what's happening and what we're doing is, you know, right at the other end of this. I remember having all those feelings yeah, and I'd go sure. and see Anthony the energy he'd have with all the people in Tony and Guy all doing great work and yeah. he had this look that you know when you looked at one of their campaign images you felt like in order to get that look you know the look of the 90s yeah. you would have to go to one of their salons buy one of their products yeah. and probably have him do your hair and take yeah, a photograph yeah. afterwards yeah. you know but it's <laughs> like that that blew my mind and we weren't yeah. doing any of those things we weren't doing anything like he was doing creatively we weren't doing anything as cool as Lee Stafford and Fish were doing. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was thinking, you know what, we're like a middle-of-the-road chain restaurant here, you know, and I've right. got to get out of it, you know, and that. Yeah. No no disrespect to Saks because... They you know, put you on that path, yeah. I guess, but... Yeah, yeah. Like any business that became something else, that became a victim of their own success. Yeah. But I, at that point, what you've just described, I felt... Yeah, and it's straight, but... So, so you then clearly like from that, from those and being in that industry and and like seeing the people that inspired you and create and creative creatively and then but then going in and and within that business model within electric knowing that that was you had that vision I guess then from the, oh, this is this is what I want to create and then getting people to buy because one thing I, I I think I wonder I always ask myself the question was it was it because I was on a hairdresser Cause it would, is that something that made I'm a people person, great, I'm great, I was. I like to think I was quite a good front of house, whatever ever that looks, and people would walk in that salon, and I knew from the second they walked in, I'd make sure that they, they had a, a good experience, till the second they left when they yeah. saw me. The bit in between was difficult for me, I, f- I felt, because, and, I, and a little bit of feedback, I think, I'm looking o- over it, I don't think, a couple of things, one, I don't think I was myself, necessarily, with the staff, with clients, yes, that's the yeah. thing. With yeah. the staff, not so much. I felt I had a pre. It was my first business. I had a preconception of what it was like to be a leader, and I think I was more of a boss than I was a leader. Yeah, and I think that's a difference. But also, there was that obviously always that thing of you're not a hairdresser. What do you know? That type of thing. Like, what, what, yeah, uh, key I to get your take on that. For me, I think my honest knowing that situation, I, I think you were an excellent leader, excellent front person. I think. Um, you had, you know, for those listening that, you know, that aren't privy to the hairdressing industry, Tony and Guy, everybody knows. Yeah. Tony and Guy did what they called a diffusion line yeah. in essentials. Yeah. And really, uh, you know, at the time, I'm sure it was a calculated business decision, but they basically put these salons in the same towns and cities where there'd been a long-term Tony and Guy franchisee. <laughs> yeah. And the Tony and Guy franchisee probably didn't want the Essentials Salon to do that well. And sadly, and I, I think, well, look at it now. It, I, I don't think, you know, right, there isn't an Essentials in Brighton anymore, but there isn't an Essentials in most of those cities yeah. that they opened. I, I don't think it was a reflection of you. And I honestly meant what I said earlier. I think what we should have done was we should have <laughs> spoken to you at the, the time, you know, and... and um, I obviously got to know you when you'd already bought that business, you yeah, know. But yeah, yeah, um, if I'd known you before, I'd have steered you out of that yeah. essentials. Uh, 
So wish no. we'd had that conversation. <laughs> There's another lifetime. We might not be sitting here now <laughs> in, in this way. But yeah, I, I guess it was just so fascinating. And you're right, actually, that, that Tony, like, it was really strange because I, like, not mentioning it, but obviously the, the franchisee of the Tony and Guy at the time just had no, like, obviously didn't want to stay. And I tried to build a relationship with him as I do with anyone. That's, I've built businesses now over the last 10 years of, by building relationships with people. Yeah. And I, Tried to go and had a drink, like a coffee with him, had a drink, and and tried to build that relationship. Literally didn't want to know. And, and part of me, from a business point of view, I get it. I go, okay, but it was exactly that. There wasn't this. There wasn't no collaboration. There was no. There was your separate business. Even to the point he'd take staff from me, and I'm like, you've got 50 staff turning over. How much yeah. do you know? That's going to cripple me. But didn't care, and it was a business thing. And that's you know what. You learn from them things, you go, okay, but you just think, like, wow. It was just, uh, it, it wasn't, a, for me, I guess, being out of the industry for so long now, but looking at that essentials model and going, like, the brand just wasn't, some people would come in, no, it was nothing to do with, didn't think it was anything to do with Tony and Guy. I'd built up a little bit of a, because I was out networking and meeting people, people come in thinking it was an independent salon, whereas, you know, we're part of this big, but then you know flip side you look at it now where we desperately try and make electric look like an independent salon yeah, in every yeah, city yeah, 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 so yeah. we yeah. Um, what I realised very quickly and I think probably through being part of a hairdressing group we didn't want to be seen as a group yeah, okay. and, and I think over the years that's got more prevalent in that you know when I look at tomorrow I've got a whole press day in Oxford electric yeah. in Oxford and we're yeah. slightly changing the model there to yeah. Um, accommodate some more uh, freelancers that we work with. We're looking to build the presence of the product. So we're remodeling the building. Um, and I've invited all the local press in to have a hair appointment so I can tell them all about it. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, I just think it, it, it evolves. So we're desperate for Electric in Oxford to not look like it's part of a group. Yeah. You know, we're going, well, look, you know, yeah, we're a product company and, we're, you know, and obviously we're doing everything we're doing. But, this is a one-off independent salon in Oxford, you know, yeah. that's, and, we, and, and we try and do the same in Brighton. And, and I remember I, at, at one time I thought this is all going to get very boring if we just oh there's electric in so and so and electric in so and so yeah. and even the even the things that are blatantly chains are trying to I don't know maybe put the the independent stamp of their city on it, you know, restaurants right, yeah. and whatever else. But, you know, maybe in another 10 years, it'll all be about being a massive group again, you yeah. know. And, and it is, it's <laughs> trends, like you said, it's trends and it changes. And like you say, I think when I first got into it, Tony and Guy was that big thing. Like, like you said, what, what I guess the great thing that you've done with the brand of Electric is not only with the product, but you, you, you have created a brand, but not just based around salons, but it is based around all these other elements that you've got to it and how that's evolved. But I guess from your, your mindset as a... Because obviously, from a creative point of view, you're a fantastic hairdresser and been in that industry for a long time and started. But and you can inspire people, people that come and work with you, work for you. That you've inspired them creatively there. But ultimately, you're you're an entrepreneur and a business owner because you've got all these other things that as well. You you will always look at it and evolve the business as a as a whole. Well, you know, funnily, I'm getting I'm I must be getting to that age now where I I, I start get, I'm starting to get asked this question now. Every, which I never used to get asked, but I started yeah. being asked recently. Do you still do you still do it? You still cut hair? Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. like, well, yeah, of course I do. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. but I, I must I must have reached that age. Yeah. But yeah, no, it, it's. I think it's important to keep it moving. It's important to 
inspire the next generation of people, I think. And, and, and as trends change, there's different ways of doing that, you know. Yeah, and sure. I, I don't know if you've read the book White Heat, and it's about the kitchen of Marco Pierre White. And um, he, was, he was photographed in the 1980s by a famous fashion photographer called Bob Carlos Clark. Mm. And he went into, um, the restaurant was called Harvey's, and it was in Wandsworth. And in the 1980s, that was the only Michelin star restaurant in London. Wow. And uh, Marco Pierre White was the restaurateur, and his, his juniors in the kitchen were Marcus Waring, Gordon Ramsay. You know, every chef yeah, you can yeah, imagine yeah. today worked in that kitchen. Yeah, well, and they were on, you know, I started on a YTS in 1991, and I was on £29.50 a week. For doing about eighty hours, and these chefs, I think it was probably worse. Mm-hmm. They're all sleeping on each other's settees, and you know, someone had used the book. I listened to a, I think it was Mary Porter. So I went to a lunch where she was a speaker, and she was saying, "Oh, you know, the reason you know Marco Pierre White now is almost washed up, you know, is because he yeah. tripped people like that. And nobody, but actually, I think there's a balance in there where would Gordon Ramsay or Marcus Waring be? Would they have those Michelin stars today if they hadn't worked for him? I'm not yeah. sure. Maybe. I mean, yeah. you know, but, but he, he was the guy. And the fact Bob Carlos Clark went in there and photographed him in the kitchen. Yeah. You should look at the book. You can read it, but it looks like a coffee table book and it's yeah. got all these photographs. And that one book, I think, glamorized the chef, uh, industry, the, the catering industry, yeah. which before... When I started hairdressing, the hairstylists were the glamorous people. You know, yeah, they were the yeah, sure. they were the guys on TV and the girls. You know, they were on TV. Yeah. Um, today, that I think there's more chefs on TV than yeah, there are hairdressers. Yeah, and yeah, sure. Our industry's lost a bit of its glamour, I think. Yeah. You know, because of that, or because some of the people we do put on TV, they're put there to have a car crash. They're put there to shout at people and have a hissy fit, and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and, and you know, make good television, whereas chefs are on there to, to be great chefs, chefs and to, yeah. you know, and it used to be like that with hairdressers. So I think I'd love to see that flip, yeah, you know. Come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, you're right, it's an exciting industry. Like, as much as I, like, although I'm never qualified as a hairdresser, I started to do a bit of training when I first obviously got involved when I was 24 or whatever. And I went and worked at London Fashion Week and stuff like that. And it, it's so... It's, an ex- it's such an exciting space. Like, how many times you've done shows and bits, uh, like obviously, at London Fashion Week, and it must just, it's such an exciting part of it, isn't it? Such an exciting It is, and I think even that act of, like, having a person in the chair in an hour, you cut the hair, you, you know, whatever, and they mm. say, oh, thank you, I really love that. Yeah. That gratification, uh, you know, they do these surveys where hairdressers are like... They're, Happiest in the, you know, yeah, them and yeah, care yeah. workers, and you yeah, know, yeah, and it's because of the, it's because of the gratification that if you're doing your job right, in an hour, you're going to make somebody look and feel good, yeah. and in return, they tell you how good they feel, and you feel good, you know, yeah. and I, so I think that bit of having somebody in the chair going, oh, I really like my hair, yeah. that's more important than a show at London Fashion Week, I, yeah, I think, yeah, 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 sure, but I don't know, it all goes into a big melting pot. It's that, and it's that emotional connection, emotional feeling that you, you get by doing that and creating that space within someone. Like like you say, someone's coming into your salon and sitting there and they're paying. And it's not, it's, that's, obviously, they're paying you money to make that business work and blah, blah, blah. But it's not that, is it? The, the, the satisfaction you get is not the kind of 100 quid they paid you for a haircut, whatever that looks like. It's, the, it's that 
you've made someone feel and look amazing. I think that's probably the reason I still do it. You know, yeah, it's all. I think all that's in the subconscious, but it yeah. it's definitely part of what I do, and I think it'll always be part of what I do. Yeah. But um, yeah, people are the common denominator, aren't yeah. they? Well, look, we're we're coming to the last couple of questions. One again, it's brilliant. Cultures is something I always talk about. The other thing I, I do, I mean, look, we we obviously friends on social media and I see you sort of obviously with the you know stuff in Canada and the States and flying around and juggling the, the salons and the product line and everything that you do you sort of we spoke previously on air spinning a lot of plates at the minute probably never been busier what but obviously as a family man as well what's the talk to me a little bit about work-life balance that what does that look like for you is it has that been tough over the years is well that, you know fam- family to me is the most important thing and I yeah. think um you know the great thing about being a hairdresser is you you can you meet so many different types of people and they're they're a bit like reference points in your life. You know, I, I, you think you see people where you, you think, oh, they've built an amazing business, mm. and and maybe some of them haven't got it so right with the family, and other people have been have put it all into the family. Mm. You know, um, and I think there's a balance somewhere between the two. I think I honestly feel really happy. With the job me and Fran have done with the, with the kids, I think yeah. we, I honestly think you know we haven't run into any major problems. We've got four great kids. Yeah. We've made them, I think, understand that you, you know you've got to work hard for things, yeah. and, and all, they're all doing different things. My eldest son Harrison, he's he's been studying advertising and marketing at yeah. university, and and his third year, which he's just finishing was a internship year and he's been working for L'Oreal in their advertising and marketing wow. department. Brilliant year, he's got his own goals. Um, Beck, my next son down, he's 18. He's want, all he wants to do is work in an investment bank in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, he's down that route, he's been going at it. He needs three A's, A-levels to get into the London Institute of Banking and Finance. Yeah. You know, he's, And I believe he'll do it, he's waiting for his results, but he, he, he went at, his exams like I've never seen anyone go at exams certainly I didn't go at them like that (laughs) and uh, my daughter Lila she's 17 and she's been working for electric for a year as a full-time trainee hairdresser she had the bug I mean she from 13 she's in the salon every Saturday and going in on training nights so she is a a good hairdresser at this point you know and she's 17 and not yet you know hasn't yet got to the NVQ qualified stage but it can cut and colour hair like a stylist can, really? you know. Wow. So, um, she's, you know, and then I, my my youngest one, Rue, she's twelve she's at school. Um, I think she's she's down the creative route, you yeah. know. But yeah, I just I think it's important, and I've tried to. There's been certain times where I've gone on a three week trip to an to America, yeah. and some of that, you know, some of it looks really glamorous because you're in New York doing a big show or something. Three days later, I might be in the back of beyond, yeah. staying in the equivalent of a travel lodge, speaking to a salon that has three people in yeah. a town that you, you'll never go to again or you've never heard <laughs> of, and, you know, and you think, yeah. actually, should... So I think, you, you know, you've got to manage your time properly. Before COVID, I was doing a lot of traveling. I was spending maybe five, four, four and a half, five months of the year in the States. Wow. Yeah. You know, I've... I, I think I'll go there now every quarter for yeah. three weeks. Um, still 12 weeks of the year, though, three, yeah, three months. Yeah, of course, yeah. But yeah. you, you know, I think we'll balance it like that. 
and even when we were launching it, we used to part of those four and a half months. I would go and spend six or seven weeks in the summer with the family there. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't all me gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you know, take so a part of it. And, two and, months of me and the family all there together, and you know, um, you've got to balance it. I don't, I don't want to be one of these fathers where it's like, oh, you were never there. Because yeah. hey, well, I know, and in all honesty, like even like some of the stuff. Uh, just through social media, social media, but just even some of the stuff you see through social media, I know you got away and just, what's your, your oldest son is? Harrison. Harrison, yeah, I've seen you go away and then you have a day with him and then you have a couple of days snowboarding or whatever and then other stuff. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So I guess even though, because I do think that there's a better, because I, I think a lot of people will say like, you know, well, that, that's work and then that's home life and that's what it, but uh, that has an impact on that so that they actually become and that covid highlighted that they actually can be almost they merge a little bit in some ways yeah especially as i guess as entrepreneurs and whatever. but so and there is the flip side to going someone who works as hard as as you do and traveling around but if they're included in that like you said we go all go away and they see it there's the other side to it is how inspiring it must be. Because didn't I see Harrison? Didn't he do something like from an entrepreneur? Didn't he do like T-shirts or something for a I'm bit? I'm wearing one of them now. I see, he loved that. This is it. I so yeah, he's still doing that. Yeah, he. Um, so he, you know, he, he's you know he's got his foot in the creative camp and he's got his foot in the entrepreneurial camp, yeah. studying advertising and marketing. So mm. he'd assisted a photographer. Um, who, Sort of fashion photographer, but does sports campaigns. Yeah, yeah. So he ended up with all these high res images of things like the one I'm wearing is that that is snow. Yeah. Um, it's not a class A drug. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> no. um, so he ended up with high res images of things like snow, um, some shots of the ocean, yeah. and some shots of um, concrete. You know, like roads and stuff yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. So he thought, right, well, he's a big snowboarder, so the snow represents a snowboarder, the, the concrete, a skateboarder, and the ocean, a surfer. Um, and he came up with this brand himself called Wisdom. And he he enrolled himself in, there's a, there was a, I'm trying to remember the name of it, there was a um, an initiative in Brighton and Hove, a business yeah. initiative, like an incubator program. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And it was run by NatWest Bank. Uh, and it was uh, in Entrepreneurial there, Spark. Entrepreneurial Spark. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. He, unknown to us, he went and applied for it. And somebody wrote to me from, you know, we bank with one of the, with Coots who were owned by the RBS and yeah, yeah, NatWest. Sure. Somebody wrote to me from the bank and said, um, we've got this Entrepreneurial Spark thing in Brighton. And, and they had great people in it, like Brighton Gin and, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. And they said, um, your son's applied, but he's only uh, 15, you know, and uh, you've got to be 18, you've got to, be, you've got to have a, you know. So they said, what's his story? I said, well, he, he, he is selling these things, you know, and, and, you know, some people buy them on Instagram and he's got a website and, you know, he shoots yeah. all his own campaigns. So the guy said, we love that, we'll, we'll have him. So he did, he, he completed the whole entrepreneurial wow. spark program. Wow. Um, which was brilliant. So yeah, he still does these. And before COVID, he was when he was at Kingston University, he was holding nights where he had a couple of DJs playing, and you know, people. With the t it was all centered around the T-shirts, but it was a little. It was very independent, you know, and, and grassroots stuff. But it, I thought, God, it had some energy, you know. I loved that. But I, I use it as an entrepreneur, as a father. It must be like 
such a proud moment now, him coming to you and all that idea like that. And yeah, quite young, you know. He said, yeah. I've got, but he had the name and everything, wisdom. <laughs> you know, I was like, uh, you know, so he just, yeah, he was doing it in his spare time. And I think he's had quite an intensive year at L'Oreal. Yeah. And he's it's ticked over in the background, but he's he's got to go back to Kingston for his fourth year. Wow. And he's got all the, obviously, the printing equipment. He, he works with a guy in Shoreditch that designed the t- the actual cut of the T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, sure. And it's made out of a unique material, um, which is called Cool Max. So it's a similar thing to, you know, Nike have... Um, Oh, I forgot. They oh, have the dry fit. Yeah, dry fit, yeah. That's their own. Adidas Climacore. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. dry fit is their own patented thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like breathable, yeah, you yeah, know, sure, like sure, Gore-Tex. Sure. Yeah. So Coolmax is its own, you know, Coolmax make all sorts of, from sleeping bags to, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So he went and got a guy to design these shirts and, they, you know, yeah. make them out of Coolmax, which you can print a high. I mean, this T-shirt is probably three years old. And normally on a T-shirt, you've got to put a surface on it and then print like yeah. you do on paper. Yeah, yeah, sure. But with this, it goes right through the fibre, so it's the same on the other side as this. Oh, and it's got yeah. no surface to it. Yeah. So they're quite unique, but he, yeah, he's got, I think, you know, he's, he's had it ticking over for the last 12 months. Yeah, but he'll fire it up again, I think, when he goes back to uni. Love that. Love that. <laughs> I just think, you know, for me, I remember seeing it, I was like, it's brilliant. Because for me, I, I look at the kids, the twins are seven now, and I think, like, you know, when they... Grow up, up. Wow, it's gone fast. I oh, know, mate. Tell me about it. Yeah, blink, and it's it's there. But you go, I look at him. Uh, not getting to the education system and stuff like that. But you know, if if they come to me and go, I want to go to university because I want to be a doctor, lawyer, or whatever, need to get into that. Brilliant. But there's another part of me would love that. Uh, if you don't, if you don't know actually what you want to do, because some people don't. Like you said, to you sometime I was going to be a footballer when I wasn't a footballer. I didn't know what I was going to do. So you go about. But you, I'd love it if they come. You know. Don't know what I want to do, so I'm going to travel the world, or I've got an idea for a business. That type of thing would be, because unless I, I do think, unless because so many employers now not necessarily looking at degrees and depending on what what industry yeah. you go into, obviously, but it's more about the person and the and you can the amount of experience you get, travel the world or go and try different things. And, and I think the world's changed a lot because, as I said earlier in the interview, I was quite inspired by the sort of. When I was a kid, the yeah. government, that was in the 1980s, yeah. what they were telling people. But then what came after that was, was Tony Blair's government. And, you know, I, I, I voted for Tony Blair. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was the one time I was sure that we, we had the right person. Yeah, and yeah. I think, but when I look at what he was saying, and he was saying to people, go to university. Yeah. And you've got the look. You've got the academically brilliant, or you've got the people that need to achieve a, a degree to do that job, yeah, yeah. and they should go to uni. And then you've got these other people that I think, in my era, they would have gone and got a job after A levels and done really well with the careers. Yeah. But I think in in the sort of nineties and the noughties, they were saying, "Oh, well, let's go to uni and study something like that isn't going to get me a job." Yeah. yeah. And I, then see now you've got. Someone gave me the stats that I think, you know, in the 80s it was, and this just roughly, that it was something like 15% of people went to uni in the 70s yeah. and 80s. Now it's like 45, you know, yeah. so, yeah. you know, it, it's right for, it, you've got to do what's right, right for, for you. Yeah, of course, of course. But I, I can feel a pendulum swinging now where they're going, all right, let's get apprenticeships going again. Yeah, let's absolutely. get practical you know, experience yeah. going again. Um, and even the fact that 
when I was at school, entrepreneurship weren't even a word, let alone no. knowing what, like now, that you know, they do, I've been into schools and unis now and, and done talks with students and mentor and that type of stuff around entrepreneurship and what that looks like, starting a business at 15, yeah. 16. And I think that's really encouraging that, which I think is brilliant. Um, and I think hopefully that, because I think I look back at it and cause I ask people, like I say about that, that where does that entrepreneurial spirit come from that younger age? And I, I, for me, just watched too much Only Fools and Horses, I think, and that was my, my thing. Yeah. But uh, it wasn't encouraged back then. It was like, yeah, stay on and do A levels. You wasn't great. Get a real job, yeah. And then go yeah. and get a job. And that was that was the path. And and you know, my path was obviously different and has been has been different. But it was the same for me when I was at school. Nobody said, Oh, go and be an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. And I remember reading in Richard Branson's book, he said I always knew I was an entrepreneur, but it was seen as something that was a bit dodgy almost. You know, it was, <laughs> yeah. And he said, I've been described as Del Boy, you know. Yeah. In his book, his words were, he said, oh, I've actually been described as Del Boy. Yeah. He said, actually, I thought it was a bit more like Rodney. You know, that's, that, <laughs> they were the words in his book. And Brilliant, yeah. So I think, um, you know, that the, the entrepreneurship is important. But yeah. the, the other thing to remember... I don't know, when, when advising anyone, you know, I've thought about this with my own kids. It's all right going, saying to a kid, well, you can do anything you want. Yeah. Anything's possible. And it sort of is for a certain amount of people. Yeah, yeah. But there are stats that exist that, I don't know, it's a high percentage of businesses don't make it. Yeah, of course. You know, it's, I, don't, I don't know what, again, I'd, yeah, be, I'd be speculating, but I would assume it's 90% or something yeah, like yeah. that. You know, so don't, yeah, yeah. it's... You know, you've got to be, when I look at it, you think, yeah, it's right for some people. Um, would I have gone down that route if I hadn't met Dennis and Malcolm and they'd sort of showed me, hey, this is all right, you know? Yeah, it, yeah. What if I'd met a different set of people and, they, yeah. and they're, and they you, you don't know, you know? You, yeah. But I, I, I think it's important to have dreams, it's important to have goals, and it's important to have the energy and the desire to try your best to make those happen. And nobody ever makes everything happen. All the top entrepreneurs have all failed a few times as well. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. Right, what does the future hold for Mark Woolley and Electric? Well, I know one thing. I'm going to have this two-week holiday in July with Fran and the kids. And and I'll probably, I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll answer that question conclusively in the pub after I've had that holiday. But I I know it's... it, it is all about growing um, the electric brand. I feel like, I almost feel like I want to stop mentioning COVID now, you know, yeah, and I think yeah. it's time, you know, we all move on. Yeah. And, and, and I think the exciting thing is it seems people are coming back to work now and people are, in London especially, it's it, it feeling normal yeah, again. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I'm, I'm very excited by what we're doing with the products. Yeah. Um, and I think that's been a that that is a lifelong passion that I, I really believe. There are certain product lines that have inspired me over the years, like Bumble and Bumble. Um, you know, yeah. the, the American yeah, yeah, product yeah, yeah, line sure. where they they targeted all the best session hairdressers in the world. Also, um what the Moscolo family did with, with T G in the day and yeah. you know, in, in its in its heyday. Um and I I fully believe we can be one of those that I believe we can be a product line of that size and I think it's it's probably we got at least another 10 years of yeah. making that happen you know yeah. but I really really believe we can go there and I think we've got a unique story I think 
you know, I always say to people, well, we make a really good product. And you think, well, everyone is making a really good product. And it's a fun, I don't think there's anyone making a bad product yeah, yeah, yeah. either. I think years ago there was. Now, most products are okay. Yeah, yeah. But I do feel we've got that unique story and, and, and we are working with some of the best hairdressers in the world who genuinely believe in it. And that means a lot to me. Yeah. So that'll yeah. help me build the farm. Yeah. I, believe, I believe in training the next generation of hairdressers. And I believe in trying to do things a bit differently. So we will grow electric space. We will grow the the, the freelancer element. And we will teach that entrepreneurial shit. Yeah. But we'll never turn our back on traditional salons and, and building people's careers. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel... I do. I feel up for it as up for it as I ever did. Yeah. Um, I think COVID, you know, you, it sends you off track a little bit. But yeah. you know, I, 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 we know what we've got to do to come through the rest of that and, yeah. and be fully recovered. But yeah, I, I really believe we can be a, a cult product line. You know, awesome. Watch this space next ten years. Gonna be awesome. Yeah. Well, in in ten years, I will be fifty seven. <laughs> Which is weird because I, I can remember being 18 and thinking, oh, well, it's a long time until I'm 30. And every now and again, you get somebody older saying, oh, time goes much quicker when you're older. And I used <laughs> to think, oh, that's just somebody older yeah. telling you, you know, time goes quick. <laughs> and then 18 to 30 went like that. And I remember my 30th birthday was here in Brighton and we hired uh, Blanche House. So my friend yeah. Amanda and Chris used to own that. Yeah. And we hired it. We had a party of all parties in there. That, yeah. you know, it finished on, on a, very early on a Sunday morning. And I think on Tuesday, I was getting a phone call from Amanda Blanche saying Lee Stafford was still asleep in the bathtub in one of the uh, bedrooms. <laughs> and, you know, it was, I mean, it was, it was a party of yeah, all parties. Good, yeah. And um, you know, I, remember, I remember that night thinking, oh, but 40, you know, that's at least 10 years away. You know, and, and that came like that yeah. and now I think I'm closer to 50 than I was to you know at 47 yeah. so and in 13 years I'll be 60 so that that person saying time moves fast it does it, it does. does move fast so yeah. I, I feel like all this stuff I've been talking about I better roll my sleeves up and try and get it done because yeah. um, you know you oh, want to be young enough to enjoy it good times well look <laughs> we've got we've got just we always finish off just a couple of sort of quick fire questions I'm just going to chuck at you so um one piece of advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? Stick with it and never give up. Love that. Who has been the, your biggest inspiration throughout your journey and why? Probably Anthony Muscolo, who yeah. weirdly enough was our rival, you know, with me yeah. as Sax and them as Tony and Guy, but brilliant all-round creative, I think, yeah. um, you know, and, and a good person as well, you know, very yeah. capable of been like having a, a global following of, of people wanting yeah. to learn what he was teaching. Amazing. Yeah. He was a great guy, definitely. Um, he's a great guy. Well, last one. Could you recommend a business book or a podcast for our listeners that has maybe had an impact on you in your career? You know what? I think the fact you've got, do you say you've got 37, 34 of these already done, yeah. you know, and I, you, so you've got a wealth there. I said to you, I like reading biographies and yeah. this is a, these are all the best bits of somebody's biography, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, you know, absolutely. so I think, you know, tuning in, you know, to, to, to your podcast is, I think, a great thing to do. I think uh, yeah, that's a book, I mean, 
so many books now, isn't there? The, yeah. You know, when I remember there being about three or four business books that you were told you had to read, like yeah. Think and Grow Rich. And, yeah, you know, back, in, dead, back in the day, and they seem really dated now. There's a book for everything. Um, <clears throat> I like the fact I gave my son recently um, uh, the guy, you know, the guy Rob Moore, the property guy. Yeah. Who's. Sorry if he's listening, but he's so bloody annoying on Instagram. You know, I've got to switch him off when he comes on. You know, he's like, um, but he wrote a book called Money. And I gave it to my son, my middle son. And I said, just what do you think? You know, because this is really about how money works. Because that's the other thing. No one ever teaches that. Sorry, teaching entrepreneurship. But I and, and I certainly, I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't understand the contents of this book until I was more than 20 years into owning a business. <laughs> uh, you know, and it's so I thought that was a good one, Rob Moore Money. Yeah. But I wouldn't bother following you on, on Instagram. <laughs> and and um, I, think, um, I think you've got to try and absorb as much information as you can. I liked what you said earlier, go for a run. And stick it on then, yeah. you know, and, 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 and podcasts and books, absorb everything you can, you know. I love that. I love that. Because I, 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 I don't read as much as I just because of time, but I've, Audible's changed my life in the last couple of years because yeah. you listen to a book. Like well, when I say that. read, I don't, I don't read. I, yeah. I, I, audio books, I mean, yeah. I've got the Audible app. Yeah, um, awesome. My When I was, prior to COVID, when I was travelling every month, you know, I did, I did 80 flights in 2019, eight zero. Wow. Um, there's only 52 weeks of it. You probably have four <laughs> yeah. weeks off, you know. But wow. uh, I did 80 flights, and quite often when I'm flying, I'm working at the other end. So I, I never bothered watching movies or reading books because you try and sleep, especially yeah. if you're coming back this way. And audio books, I thought, were great because you could be somewhere near asleep and awake, but you're taking all this information. So yeah. I've done loads of them. When yeah. I say read, I mean listen. Yeah, yeah, same, yeah. same. Brilliant, mate. Well, look. Oh, thank you, Sam. Listen, it's been, I knew it would be, and I'm so grateful for your time. Now, I'm grateful like, so for you inviting me on. Brilliant. Sorry this took so long. Nah, mate, look, what it, it was, well, for me, it was well worth the wait, and I'm, um, I'm sure the listeners will take so much from it. And, mate, wish you continued success. It's been brilliant to see the journey and see it grow, and, and the, the amazing stuff you've done with the electric brand. And, like I say, I wish you continued success. So, And mate, you too, because I think what you're doing here is really really important and, and I think great for um, future entrepreneur you know taking taking that information from and I think it's brilliant what you're doing congratulations thank you mate and that is a wrap awesome 